Welcome to Zanta on the Move. We're happy to have you here for this episode of our podcast. My name is Pat Perrier, and my co-host tonight is Lisa Pappas. Hello. Bonnie Winfrey is unable to be with us tonight, and we hope that you will be able to join us for the next podcast. We are going to talk about a really interesting program tonight, Serve for Hope's program, Pads for Hope. Lauren and Leonard Matovu began Serve for Hope, and the Pads for Hope program provides menstrual hygiene education and reusable pads to adolescent and teenage girls across Uganda. Just $10 provides one girl with the education and pads she needs for one year. The Pads for Hope program started in November 2017 with community sensitization regarding menstrual hygiene education. In March 2018, Serve for Hope began distributing reusable and rewashable menstrual pads in conjunction with the community sensitization. Since March 2018, they've reached over 2,000 girls through this program. So, I want to welcome Lauren Matovu. Thank you for being here, Lauren. Thank you for having me. So, how did you and Ronnie, I introduced him as Leonard in the beginning, but he's, <laughs> he's known as Ronnie. How did you and Ronnie meet? So, me and Ronnie met in Uganda in 2008. Um, we were both starting college, university, and so... I had no idea what I wanted to study. I was like, this is pointless to go because I don't know what I'm going for. Um, And so I had known a friend from high school who was in Uganda. So I joined her there just to travel. Um, That was my first international trip. And what an amazing place to go for your first trip. We really feel, Ronnie and I, our faith is really important to us. And so we really feel like it was or like orchestrated for mm-hmm. us. So yeah, I ended up going there um, kind of on a whim. Uh, my parents were not very happy about that, <laughs> but they're happy now. So uh, we met, yeah, in, in January of 2008, um, became friends then and kept in contact. I had gone back in 2009. Um, at the time, my friends and I had started an NGO here, which is actually the U.S. partner agency to the Surfer Hope, which is a Ugandan NGO. Okay. Um, and we kept being friends and then eventually dated long distance for two years, which was torture. <laughs> and yeah, got married in 2015 and yeah, have had a wonderful time since. Wow. They talk about long distance. It's like across the globe, long oh, distance. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. It's quite the unconventional story but so do you live here most of the time or do you live partly in Uganda yeah that's actually um a good question because we so after we got married we lived in Uganda together up until the end of 2018 I moved back here with um Joelle when she was like about two and then we started the immigration process for him because we found that it was really hard to do any type of networking, any type of fundraising for our organization when he had no legal standing. Mm. Um, 
And so he actually just became a citizen in January of oh, this wonderful. year. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> so we've got that done. So right now we're here. We're building up the U.S. side. And our long-term plan is to go back. Okay. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. So what you and I had chatted a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about the Serve for Hope part before we move into Pads for Hope? Sure. So Serve for Hope was started in 2014 by Ronnie. Um, just a little bit of background on why he started. So Ronnie grew up um, impoverished, and he ended up having to work when he was pretty young to pay for his education. Okay. In Uganda, the way the education system is set up is um, there's government schools, but you don't really know if your teachers are going to show up, if they have mm. enough resources for you. Um there's a slew of issues that can happen that don't end up in the child being educated. And so a lot of times people go toward private education, which costs money. Even government education costs money, but it's more so just the materials, not tuition. So anyways, Ronnie, having grown up this way, he he had a pretty rough um, upbringing that led him to feel like you know, I want to help children who are growing up in similar situations mm-hmm. as I am. And so he started Serve for Hope. It actually started informally in 2009. Um, he started finding sponsors for different children who were either placed in his care or um, kind of came under his wing. Mm-hmm. So 2014, it became an official NGO. And Serve for Hope, our entire Um, purpose is educational empowerment. So whether that's through child sponsorship, through tuition sponsorship, um, or through the youth outreaches. So Pads for Hope falls under that youth outreach program um, where we go into schools and we talk about different issues that are affecting youth. Um, Menstrual hygiene is one of those topics. Mm -hmm. And um, the third we're, we kind of transitioned after COVID period because mm. a lot changed during COVID. But that third program will and is becoming a skills training program. So oh, nice. um, trade school. Mm-hmm. Ronnie has a great vision to kind of build this huge trade school where there's different trades being taught at the same time. and mm-hmm. um, An alternative to education for people who have um, kind of been forgotten in the school mm-hmm. system, especially mm-hmm. during COVID in Uganda. Mm-hmm. So that's the overview of Surf for Hope. Pads for Hope, we, uh, when we launched it, was actually, we kind of were seeing how it would go. Mm-hmm. And it was so awesome to do this in schools that we were like, we've really got to put focus into this mm-hmm. as one of our main youth outreaches. We still do other discussions. We have students come into the office in Uganda and talk about life skills, mm-hmm. um, conflict management. Um, but so you yeah. found a very specific niche that need, yes. really needed to be honed in on. Yes. Yeah. And especially with your background as, as a counselor, then mm-hmm. it's, it's not like some person that they don't know is coming in to preach at them. Right. Yeah. And Ronnie has a background in social work, too. So mm-hmm. I've recently stepped into the counseling realm. I actually worked um, initially after I, before I moved. I worked um, at a domestic violence shelter and then um, ended up working in child welfare. And so we both have social work backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And then 
our team is all social workers. Mm-hmm. So everybody is coming in with a background of knowing um, biopsychosocial histories are important and also mental health is important. So, Yeah, it seems like um, Lauren had sent me some pictures and it just yeah. seems like this program was meant to be. Mm. Just the way we saw the faces of the children and the faces of the adults interacting. And of course, you know, still photographs only tell part of the story. But to see the pictures and to see how you really get into the nitty gritty of this education, this isn't like, all right, I'll go back to my day. (laughs) You go to the doctor on a certain birthday and the doctor hands you a pamphlet. (laughs) And then you're left to go home with that pamphlet and you go, Huh. And, you know, I was lucky. I had an aunt who was a nurse who let me read her nursing book. So, Mm, you know. Sure. But, I mean, it wasn't even here. It wasn't at that point talked about. You had this thing that happened to you. And, you know, depending on how your family raised you, you may or may not have known why and how and all of those nuts Mm. and bolts things. But what I loved about the pictures is it's, it's a cultural thing that you are radically changing hmm. from going to, we're not speaking of this, to here's the fallopian tubes, here's the uterus. Yeah. yeah. Did you see the posters? And the yes. Posters? yes. I did. I, yes. That was my drawing. I have to take credit. It's a beautiful uterus Very well on done. that poster. <laughs> Very well done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even growing up. I, we didn't have a whole, we had, you know, a day in school where we talked about puberty mm-hmm. and menstruation, but like, it still didn't feel like it was an open conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think my mom did the best that she knew. Right. Yeah. But yeah, it's not, it still sometimes doesn't feel like it's an open conversation. No, here. that's what I was say. It feels like it's still challenging here and it's, it's become a lot more spoken about and, and you just, you see, even in the advertising, you see how things have changed and in that regard, but I'm imagining just how much harder it would be, you know, in a third world country, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm sure there are all sorts of cultural things that you can tell us about, about why it was so taboo. It is still mm-hmm. ta- so taboo. Yeah, this was actually an interesting conversation I had with Ronnie because I know some of the cultural pieces, but obviously I didn't grow up there. So he is really the wealth of knowledge yeah. there. but. He even said he didn't grow up having any conversations. So there were no conversations about puberty, no conversations about girls' menstruation, no conversations about sex, nothing in regard to reproductive health rights, protecting their bodies. So really, even for him as a Ugandan male to help in changing the narrative mm-hmm. around girls menstruation I, I mean like it makes me so proud <laughs> but culturally in Uganda so traditionally parents just don't have that conversation with their children sure um, probably similarly to how it used to be here maybe in some homes still is um, but what was used during menstruation are these um, have you ever seen a banana tree uh-huh okay so banana these, leaves yes Oh, dear big Lord. <laughs> green leaves, kind of not like a palm tree, but they're pretty yeah, big leaves. Yeah, yeah. Um, they would dry them out and that would be used as a pad. So not comfortable, not sanitary, really. Um, but when you have nothing, what are you supposed to use? Sure. Right. right. 
Um, the other option would be cut up pieces of cotton. So maybe like an old shirt cut into strips. Mm-hmm. Again, using what is there, but like cotton is not going to hold menstruation. Right. Right? right. There's the risk of leakage and being embarrassed in school and things like that. So a lot of times um, girls just would stay home. And, the, and okay. sometimes families, a lot of traditional view on menstruation in Uganda is that it's unclean. Um, in some parts of Uganda, Ronnie was telling me, girls will go into the sand and sit in the sand because mm-hmm. that's the practice mm-hmm. that is, I guess, expected during menstruation. So, tr- like for a couple of days, you're so, sitting. Yeah, in the I, sand. Asked him I don't the understand. I asked him the same thing because so I was like, um, <laughs> "Do they get up? Yeah. Like, what happens here?" He said, "No." They, he, he said, "Like traditionally, he used it. He used the the." comparison to like a wound because the wound bleeds right Mm -hmm. so he said traditionally he would put dirt onto his wounds to stop the blood okay the same idea with sand mm -hmm. is to stop the menstruation blood and then they go back when they need to go back okay but there's no school during that period right right? so it really inhibits a girl's ability to be educated Mm -hmm. which leads to a slew of other problems Mm -hmm. um including child marriage because Mm -hmm. when it becomes expensive for a girl to stay at home the other option is finding her a husband Mm -hmm. um which is illegal in uganda but it still does happen oh um and it's illegal in a lot of areas and it still still does happen well yeah that could be a whole other podcast (laughs) right there keep that in mind (laughs) making a note (laughs) uh so also teen pregnancy because of course, we know when girls and boys are not aware of what's happening during puberty, their natural sexual desires, and then mm-hmm. that can easily lead mm-hmm. to teen pregnancy. So we actually do incorporate boys into our discussions. Yes. Which Wonderful. some of the schools don't like. Yeah. <laughs> well, the pictures had the mixed classes. And again, I go back to, I'm, oh, probably, yeah, I'm probably the oldest person here in the room. So what happened was the <laughs> PE teacher took the boys off to that room. Oh, yeah. And then... The school nurse took the girls off to that room. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was that big of a cultural thing, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, so it to see all of the kids there and to see you, your organization challenging those deeply embedded cultural norms is fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Now, are these are these schools that they're going to um they're open to this idea. Like, do you have to seek the schools that will allow you to do that? Mm-hmm. So our team, so while we're here, we have a team that's running Surf for Hope. Ronnie is, um, the, the time difference is like eight to nine hours, depending okay. on daylight savings. So he's up in the night talking to his <laughs> team over there, like, hey, how's it going, right? Um, but um, our team will do community mapping, and so they'll go around to different schools and find some of the greatest need. And actually what we found is um, urban areas are kind of saturated with NGOs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's where most of the resources sure. are. It's more developed in the urban area. Rural areas, and we're talking not rural like you imagine in U.S., although some parts of U.S. probably, but mm-hmm. um, village, like deep into the village, have way less resources are an even greater need of mm-hmm. a program like Pads for Hope. So that's our goal is to move out that mm-hmm. direction. Okay. Not that we want to neglect the schools around our office. Sure. They need, they need it just as much. Sure. But um, to people who are really 
lacking the education and the resources that are needed for healthy menstruation. Mm-hmm. And so when you when they are approaching these schools, what sort of response do they are they is it generally difficult or is it or so many of the teachers like, yeah, you know what, we really do need this. Many have been pretty welcoming. Um like I said, some schools don't want us to incorporate boys. Boys. Yeah. Um, sometimes we find teachers who would also like the reusable washable pads and be like, sorry, these are geared toward the children, which is why you see them holding the pack. Yes. Yeah. Because we're passing them out directly sure. in session. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've had a pretty overwhelmingly friendly positive response. Yeah, positive mm-hmm. response. So how do you recruit volunteers? Do you have like... Does the program have volunteers and paid staff, or how's, how's that work? So you've caught us at a crossroads. <laughs> <laughs> um, during COVID, I don't know if you've heard anything about Uganda during COVID, but there was a tremendous lockdown on and off, on and off the whole time, from 2020 to 2022, and schools were closed the entire time, mm-hmm. oh, which wow. put a halt to, I mean, like the kids were literally out of school yeah. for two years. Wow. The longest lockdown that I've, I've read it is the longest lockdown across the globe. So um, we shifted gears during that time, focused on meeting basic needs. Now schools are back in session, but our staff changed. And that's Mm -hmm. actually why Ronnie is there right now. Mm -hmm. So he's interviewing and hiring on new staff. Um, We are hiring on a new community outreach coordinator who will oversee the Paths for Hope program. And then if we need volunteers, we'll have volunteers. Typically in the past, we've had, when Ronnie and I were there, it would be Ronnie, myself, the community outreach coordinator, and that would be okay. Um, Sometimes we would have more volunteers. Like, you know, you kind of build a network when you're living there. And so I remember one time we had one of our friends from the UK who was also in (laughs) Uganda doing different volunteer work, and she came along and did some outreach as well. So mm-hmm. depends on the school. Some schools really only need one person. Um, the the time that our friend from the UK came along, we were in the village and it was like, oh, it had to have been over 200 girls oh, wow. in one area. Um, and it was like a, a church that was in the progress of being built. The rain started, the roof was a tin roof. So you heard like pitter patter <laughs> and we're like shouting about menstrual hygiene open education. <laughs> With no microphone and all of us at the end, we're like, we really need to get a microphone. (laughs) So, yeah, it depends on what school we're at. Mm -hmm. Um, So describe. um, So we know we have the program and we talk about female biology and we talk about um, the hormones and the whole nine yards. Tell us more about the actual product you're handing out to the girls Mm -hmm. and how that all works. Yeah, so it's actually an African company. I believe, I'm not going to even say we're there because I can't remember the exact country where they're made, (laughs) but it's within the continent of Africa, which we um, really love because even Surf for Hope is all Ugandan-led. I come in alongside Ronnie and I do a lot of donor relations work in the U.S., but we really believe in empowering people within that continent um, or especially within that country. So Afropads is the brand that we have bought from. There are tons of different, you could Google reusable washer pads and probably find many other brands. Um, But this particular brand comes in a sealed package. When you open it up, it's um, layers. So 
I can't remember exactly all the layers, but there's a waterproof layer. There's an absorbent layer um, to make sure that there's no leaking. Um, washing, we actually, along with the pads, pass out soap. Because um, okay. especially in some of these village areas, it's very expensive for a family to afford soap. Um, so we pass out soap. And then we talk about what it means to have sanitary practices in washing the pads. Okay. Um, I, I, that's hard because you don't actually know if the girl will go home and... and oh, well, that was one of my questions. Mm-hmm. There's no way to ensure yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our, it's our hope that they follow what we've directed mm-hmm. them to do. Or maybe but their if, families won't... Yeah. ...will reject it? Hopefully not. That's okay. the hope. Um, you know, I think... Yes, there's a there's a generational difference there, but typically families where the girls are in school have already branched outside okay. of traditional Ugandan. That makes sense. very traditional Ugandan right, thought right. process. Well, I would think that if their parents are allowing them to go to school in the first place, there's a progressive yeah. aspect right. yeah. to the family anyway. Yeah, right. good point. And yeah. then maybe that will rub off to the folks that are still hesitant about letting their daughters go out. And I'm only I'm speculating, but. I, I would think that because there are so um, so many cultural things that are ingrained, it is hard to change. But once they change, seeing other families that are your neighbors mm-hmm. change and see how it benefits them definitely kind of ripples out. Definitely. And actually, Uganda is so communal. And so I think even to like my mother-in-law's village, right, they know everybody oh, in sure, like a 10-mile sure. radius. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so, and I mean, there's not, it's spread out, but (laughs) yes, the fact is if you're handing out pads to a girl who's in a more rural area, the whole village is going to hear about those pads. And if there's multiple people receiving the same pads, it's even that much greater of an impact in, and some schools are like this rurally too, but in the urban areas, a lot of kids are going to boarding school, mm-hmm. okay. and so they would need them day to day at the boarding school. Sure. If they're not, it's more common in the urban areas to know of sanitary pads. Mm-hmm. Right. And even in the urban areas, I mean, even in the rural areas, um, it's becoming more common. It's just it's too expensive to afford. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the, the affording them and then, you know, disposal, mm-hmm. well, that environmental was, impact. That, yes, I think it's great that you're what you're handing out to the, the girls is reusable mm-hmm. and more eco-friendly. Yes. Um, I would think that it would be a lot easier to just get a bunch of disposable things yeah. for them. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing, too, is, and this is long-term vision, right? But I had talked about the trade school. Our hope is we have people who learn tailoring who then learn how to sew these pads because you can actually make them um, with different, and I do not, I can't claim to know how (laughs) to make them, but it's something that can be made and then taught to girls how Mm -hmm. to be made. Mm -hmm. So that would be even better because then we are having girls use recycled, not recycled, but essentially recycled. Well, reusable. Reusable, yes. Materials to make their own pads. So it's not just a year. Then they can keep making them Mm -hmm. as they need them. Well, and it also is the thing like you were talking about at first when you were saying that um, one of the options was the banana leaves, and I just cannot (laughs) imagine. Um, But the cotton. There, you know, let's look at globally, there's all kinds of clothing waste. Mm-hmm. Yes. So maybe by using material, I don't know if, you know, I'm sure the company probably uses like 
doesn't use like stuff that's donated or whatever. They probably use, you know, there's certain safety, you know, hygiene standards, but there's something to be said about even teaching them to sew the bags that they're kept in with recyclable, reusable clothing to take that out of the environment as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the layers, I do know that one of the layers (laughs) is a polyurethane bag, Mm -hmm. which is like the waterproof Mm -hmm. part of the layer. So yeah. Yes, it is more environmentally friendly to mm-hmm. be using these pads. Um, so, yeah, part of it is teaching them how to wash them. But on the package, too, it tells the girls how to wash mm-hmm. the pads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we just hope that they do listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, yeah. Do you get a lot of feedback from from the, the girls? Do, do they come back and tell you how much better they feel, how much easier it is yeah to manage we do we get and we get feedback from the teachers too saying the girls feel more confident there is an initial hesitation when the pads are passed out there's an embarrassment and that probably is number one age but also cultural factors um you know some of that is natural some is kind of ingrained in culture So there is an initial embarrassment. I've seen girls kind of hide it in their <laughs> uniform skirt, yeah. things like that. And then our team is like, no, pick them up and show them proud. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they have they have provided positive feedback. Mm-hmm. Especially we, we especially hear from the staff of the school okay? Um, because we don't necessarily have direct – we don't always have direct follow-up with the girls. Right. No, I imagine you would see it in the academic records, too, mm-hmm. because they're going to school yeah. instead of staying home. Right. Um, although I can, you know, I, I I guess I can relate to having those handed to me because you to handed to you as a young girl in front of the boys. Right. Because mm-hmm. boys can be pills. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I have brothers and I have a husband, so I have some authority here to say that. Just want to and put sons. that out. And yes. Sons. And yes, I, I raised sons. So. You know, I, I got that covered a little bit, but um, this is not man bashing at all. It's, <laughs> yeah. just, it's just teenagers. Right. Right. Yeah. And adolescents. I mean, they really don't know. Mm-hmm. And also the same thing happens here. I mean, oh, yeah. It, yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. universal. Yeah. But they but that's actually another a huge reason why girls would miss school is because if they get their period and they don't have the number one, they don't have the education to know what is happening. And then they don't have the materials to catch their menstruation blood. Right. They're going to leak into their uniform. Yeah. And then it's embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. Like Ronnie has told me stories. Like I remember girls being so embarrassed of Mm -hmm. that in school and some girls don't return to school. Right. They're mortified. I mean, some of us, can relate. Oh, I think everybody's had a, any, those experiences. Any female on this planet can probably relate to that. And mm-hmm. then, you know, to just be put in the position of it happening and you're not knowing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not knowing why or how long is this going to last or, right. you know, whatever. I, I just, it can be traumatic. Mm-hmm. So how often uh switch gears here and we'll probably go all the way around back because we always do um how often do you visit uganda so i've been again covid we can't avoid covid right but we just went in january myself and okay. our six-year-old daughter um and we actually a, a fact about me that you didn't know <laughs> is that we have kids over in Uganda. We've oh. adopted our daughter Grace is 15. Oh, so we adopted wonderful. her right before 
COVID hit the world. Mm. Um, we have a foster son, Eddie, who mm-hmm. is 17. So we tried to adopt him, didn't go through because of all sorts of stuff plus COVID. <laughs> um, and then we've actually had in total, including uh, including Joel, actually, 12 children come and kind of grow out of our home. So when we were there, that was actually a huge part of our ministry and what sure. we do. Sure. Um, so it's kind of cool to go back and see them all as adults, most of them <laughs> as adults and working. Um, but we went in January. I go once a year. Okay. During COVID, I didn't go. Um, it was very hard. I, I didn't go for about two years because we needed Ronnie to go. And financially, we just couldn't do it sure. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Ronnie goes about twice a year at least. Um, so right now that's okay because it has to be okay. Yeah. I would love to go more than once a year. Um, it's just costly. Oh, yeah. Course. I can imagine. So, <clears throat> sorry. Can you tell us about the country? Yeah, I love Uganda, you guys. <laughs> Seriously. It's, Go for it. Tell it us. It is so tell weird to some people because I love where I grew up, too. But I really feel like I was meant to be in Uganda. Mm. And that's why I said before it was kind of just orchestrated because I, for some reason, from a young age, felt like, I'm going to go abroad somewhere. I just don't know where. Anytime I heard people who lived in other countries, I'm like, that's so cool. (laughs) So Uganda is a beautiful country. I mean, really, like there's red, reddish kind of dirt Mm -hmm. in the more rural areas. Also in the urban area, you can see it. Um, Lush, green, rolling hills. It's developed but in the urban areas but not as developed as you would you can't compare it to like a chicago or something like that of course um the the overall culture there's like 50 56 tribes in uganda 41 languages oh my gosh yes very many languages but there's three national languages so that's english swahili they just made a national language recently and then a language called luganda Mm-hmm. Um, which comes from a certain tribe. So each tribe has their own dialects, languages and dialects. Um, and it, it's the overall culture in Uganda is a very strong sense of community. Mm-hmm. Um, that has changed over time, but it's still there. And you can really sense that, especially, like I said, when you go further out from the city, it's a little different. Um but yeah, vast wildlife. It's home. It's right on the equator. Mm-hmm. So there's dry and rainy season. Um, home to the source of the Nile River. So oh, a lot wow. of beautiful scenery. Yeah. Um, but overall, just a beautiful mix of these different tribes, each tribe having its own traditional, some of them overlap, traditional wear, um, their languages, like I said, their foods, um, dances. Mm. So it's really, I mean, I love that country. Mm-hmm. It is beautiful. Would you say that it's um, mainly, or it could be different among all the tribes, maybe um, it is more patriarchal or matriarchal? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know if I can fully answer that. I feel like Ronnie would have to. Okay. <laughs> I, I was just curious because of, because of our conversation around the culture and what's taboo and not, mm-hmm. not taboo. I think I will say from what I know, because I don't want to speak on something I don't know, but certain tribes are more matriarchal Mm -hmm. because I'm thinking in my head of certain tribes where women pretty much take the way. 
and certain tribes are patriarchal. Okay. Um, overall, there's been a lot of progress in women's rights and mm-hmm. respecting women and women taking leadership Wonderful. roles. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they've that country has really grown mm-hmm. in tremendous ways. But then there's, you know, I, I like to highlight what's good about Uganda because yeah. I think, unfortunately, when people hear of developing countries, they hear only negative right. facts. Right. Um, but that is reality in Uganda. So, like, Uganda has a growing young population. It's 78% of the people in Uganda are below the age of 35. Whoa. Wow. Yes. One of the youngest populations in the world. And Do we know why that is? I don't know. I really don't know. I wonder if... Um, I mean, there could be so many different yeah. reasons. We probably have to go into a whole other podcast. But yeah. I think um, I think maybe healthcare is part of it. I think maybe um, HIV, mm-hmm. AIDS is part of it. Um, but but what happens there is you have a huge growing young population, and then not enough older people to kind of. Um, for what the younger people need, right? And pave yeah. the way there. Sure, sure. Um, which is where you find a lot of people unable to afford education. Okay. Mm-hmm. So one in four students will go on to high school in Uganda. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And the average family there, I think over half of families live on $2 a day. So actually oh. less than, because it's less than $60 a month. Um, mm-hmm. That kind of gives you a better picture of why it would be hard to afford something like pads. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the pack of pads in Uganda is two dollars. Yeah. Two to three dollars, depending on where you get it. So it's that's an impossible thing to mm-hmm. afford on that income. Yeah. I mean, we even see hints of period poverty in certain places, even here mm-hmm. in Will County. Sure. And we talk about it as period poverty. That is yeah. period poverty. poverty. Yeah. Right. Well, we we now no longer have the pink tax. Yes, where you know there's a surcharge for all of those sorts of products. Those products are so much more expensive than they probably need to be Mm -hmm. here. So I can't even imagine how difficult that must be. And I believe from what I read, Uganda Uganda's government also removed the taxes on uh, menstruation products. But the reality is still still too expensive. Still, if if you're making that kind of a wage and you don't have the the underpinning of a social safety net to help you not seen as a priority. (laughs) No. And it's not seen as a priority, which is the other issue. Um, But to have a program like pads for hope also, there's a couple of prongs to that. You're providing the education, you're providing the, you're removing the taboo. And ultimately with Ronnie's vision, you'll have a new circle, full circle. Now we have a business that will help, the country mm-hmm. by providing this it's employment and very these skills. young country yes. where there'll be a lot of people yeah. who yeah. will need the, these yeah. products. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And that's, that is the beauty f- behind that vision because it brings it back full circle. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing too, to point out is here and you know, again, uh, this could be a long topic, but we have a lot of social services available, government services right. available right. Um, for people who need them. Mm-hmm. Um, there are none in Uganda. So NGOs take a lot of that weight. Okay. And um, that's also why you find NGOs meeting needs that maybe 
in the U.S. or other developed nations would not be meeting those needs. So they take mm-hmm. care of like the basic healthcare needs too. Then is there is there any kind of like there's healthcare, yeah. Okay, but it's you pay for your healthcare ahead of time. So again, if you're on two dollars a work? day, there's no there's no like broad. There's no health insurance companies. There is health insurance. Oh. I should say that. It's not affordable to somebody oh. on $2 a day. Sure, right. sure. And also, health care varies very much from urban to rural settings. Okay. Um, yeah. So like when Ronnie's mom is sick, we bring her into the city for treatment. Sure. But still not affordable on $2 right. a day, right? So you have to pay up front before you are seen by any doctor. Okay. Um, and I've heard horrible Horse stories treatment. about people needing treatment and not being able to get it because sure. there was no funds mm-hmm. to and again it. not that net right to support where unless the ngos step in do some of the ngos take on that mantle for the health care or that sure. you know of some ngos yeah will cover certain health care procedures um the, i mean there's a vast array of ngos in uganda certain mm-hmm. ngos working with people with disabilities certain ngos working to fight hunger mm-hmm. um certain ones like us working to bring educational empowerment mm-hmm. others doing similar paths for hope programs as well mm-hmm. across the country well of course zanta international is an ngo as well yes. mm-hmm. and we did um in our history is a program that we did for a number of years in rwanda Hmm. for um, reducing the transmission of maternal to fetal AIDS. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's where when I first talked to Amira about your program and then talked to you, it kind of hooked me because our overarching Zante International organization does a lot with the empowerment for women, with health care, and with really needs that you would think were basic and maybe we would think here, why would they do that? But why not? Mm-hmm. It's clearly needed. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, a basic human right to have an education, right? Yeah. So as aside from high school, are there, and I obviously know nothing about Uganda, are there universities there or do kids go away? Yes, there are universities there um, in the urban area, some further out from the urban area. Um, but... If somebody has the finances to go away, they will probably go choose away. Choose to do that. Yeah. And then they choose not to come back generally? There's a high unemployment rate in Uganda, which is another problem. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of brain drain. I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with Oh, yeah, that. I know that. Yeah. So um, a lot of very well-educated Ugandans. There's lots of well-educated Ugandans in Uganda, but there's a lot who are in the diaspora who are outside of Uganda mm-hmm. and working outside because there's no jobs. Because there's no jobs. Right. Mm-hmm. I see. Right. And that's often the case is because they have nowhere. I mean, you've just paid for this education. And right. Now what? Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. You know. And things are changing. I do see things changing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, slowly. Well, I, thanks yeah. to NGOs like yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think also that slower the change, the more it's going to stick. Hmm. Sometimes those rapid changes don't hold. It's true. And the young population in Uganda is is ready for change. So they see a lot of these social issues that they're facing and they are taking a stand and trying to make things different for their future generations, which is really good. That is. That's wonderful. That's awesome. So um, what do you want us to know that we haven't yeah, talked about, you. about your organization? I mean, we really hit on everything. <laughs> 
Um, I could just share what our goal is for this year. So our goal is to reach, so it costs $10 per girl. Mm -hmm. That covers pads. It covers soap. It covers transportation to um, wherever we're going. And our our plan is to do community mapping, um, look at which schools would be best to visit. Our focus is more rural than urban right now, um, but we're not, again, I say this to make sure everybody knows (laughs) we're not opposed to going to the urban schools. We usually split half and half. So our goal is to reach 2000 girls. Okay. So what's that? $20,000, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's our hope that we reach that amount that would double the amount that we reached since the program. So since it's starting in 2017, minus the two years of COVID, Mm -hmm. it's been 2000 girls. We'd like to have a greater impact Mm -hmm. over time. So how could our listeners, if they were so inclined, donate? Yeah, you can visit our website, www.serveforhope.org, uh, forward slash get involved. <laughs> um, or if you just cl- put in the website, you can click on a button that says get involved, and mm-hmm. it will bring you um, where you can make a PayPal donation. You could also email me at Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N, at EnterTheVenture.com. That is our um, NGO here. Um, EnterTheVenture. EnterTheVenture.com. And I can get you signed up, aside from donating, signed up for right now what are quarterly updates Mm -hmm. about what is happening with Serve for Hope in Uganda um, and all of our programs. And future fundraisers. So actually in May, uh, we're going to launch, May is Menstrual Hygiene Education Awareness Month. Um, Did not know that. Yes. So I will be launching a fundraiser in May. um, We'll be sure to feature you on our um, our social media. media. Yes. And I can send any additional information. Mm -hmm. But yeah, our goal is 2,000 girls. Uh, We'd really love to grow this program keep it going all year round especially now that schools are back in session and things Mm -hmm. are more even last year was a little bit um off because schools had been out for so long they were trying to cram cram so much information yeah Yeah. those kids must be so much further behind yeah it's it's hard here we've seen how challenging it's been here yeah yeah and so uh this year has is really a good kind of restarting Mm -hmm. point Mm -hmm. again so if our, again, if our listeners were so inclined to reach out to um, help foster or support mm-hmm. monetarily the kids, could they just reach out to you at your email and you could put them in touch with the proper yeah, organization? So I would do that directly because Ronnie right. and I have a list of students. And through our sponsorship program, we have some students sponsored fully. Some are sponsored half or a portion mm-hmm. And then others, um, we sponsor through buying uh, scholastic needs. So Mm -hmm. backpacks, notebooks, pens. Mm -hmm. They need everything to start school with, of course, similar to here. Um, So, yes, I would definitely let them know who Mm -hmm. is in need. And we do have children who need sponsors. Yeah. yeah. I think it's worth reaching out and asking because we don't get if we don't ask. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. You know. We would love that. So... Any other information you want to toss at us? 
I don't think so. I just want to say thank you for having me. Yeah. Letting me share a bit about Surf for Hope and Pads for Hope, our program. Well, this has been really enlightening because it's, you know, around here we're having TV ads for all kinds of products. (laughs) (laughs) It's really interesting. But to hear what you two have done and to see your vision because when you talk about it, obviously we can tell it's your passion. You light up. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> you know, um, to see that energy is remarkable. And we thank you for coming and thank sharing you. that with us. Yes, and, thank you. you know, you definitely have an invitation to come back. We'll thank find something else much. to talk about. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I mean, we really, it is a gift. It's been an interesting journey, especially having come back here for a little bit of time. Um but this really does bring both Ronnie and I alive. It is what gives us mm-hmm. joy. And so. Well, we're thankful for people like you because yeah, not all of us have you. that in us. <laughs> thank you. Or feel like we can contribute yeah. in that way. So people well, maybe, can, yeah, maybe we can hit another podcast when Ronnie's on this side. Oh, of the yes. Yeah. He's a, he would love that. <laughs> or you could come visit Uganda oh, there sometime you go. with us. So. Yeah. I There's hope my boss invitation. is listening. So. <laughs> Would be gone for a couple of weeks, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think it would be it would be fun to touch base mm-hmm. and see how yeah. that goal is going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. definitely. Okay, you know. we will do that. Sounds good. Okay, thank you, Lauren. Thank, thank you, Lauren. Both. Thank you for taking the time to be here with us with our podcast on Pads for Hope. Thank you for Lauren to uh, for providing us with this wonderful information. We hope that you enjoyed this topic. And from Lisa and I, we hope to see you next month. Thank you. Santa on the Move is hosted and produced by Bonnie Winfrey, Pat Perrier, and Lisa Pappas. It is engineered and edited by Alex Melkars. Zanta on the Move is recorded in the WCSF studio on the campus of the University of St. Francis in Joliet, Illinois. The views reflected in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the University of St. Francis, WCSF, University Administration, or the Catholic Diocese of Joliet.